This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and CastBox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week, we are dissecting 1980s Maniac directed by William Lustig. But first, our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. Guys, it's been one year since my ex-wife left me. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened with Ryan this week. Yeah. Um. So I took an extra day off work, and I went on a hike that was supposed to be eight miles, and I ended up putting it about close to 15. So my feet are dead now. Um, he is broken. Uh, yeah, so they hurt really bad. And like two days before that, I did a two mile run, and then the day in between that, I did some like powerlifting with a friend. So my legs just are very pissed at me. Um, but I did go see. I'm trying to see every horror movie in theaters this year. I don't know if it will happen since B can't get to see Fantasy Island. Oh, no, we're gonna go see it this week. I'm just, I totally bailed on him. We were gonna see it Monday. And then something happened. I can't remember it. Yeah, I can't remember either. And then I was like, oh, well, I have Thursday off, so let's... Oh, we couldn't find a showing that wasn't oh, at, at, like, 10 o'clock. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to freaking fall asleep. Like, there's no way. And then I've just been so busy and so crazy. But um, I was, like, gone in Colorado and all this stuff. And, like, the first day I had off, I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> Yeah. But we're going to go see it. We will. So, but I did go see The Boy 2, Brom, or Brom The Boy 2, whatever it's called. Sure. It's a sequel to The Boy, which came out, God, at least a like four or ago. five years ago at this point, I feel like. Um, 2016. Oh, so four, yeah, four years, years ago. So, and that one starred, um, what's her face from Walking Dead? Yeah. Mag- well, Maggie in Walking Dead. Right. Her real name is. Lauren something? Yeah. I feel like. Yeah. Lauren Cohen. Lauren Cohen, that's right. Because I always want to say Lauren Conrad, and I'm like, no, that's Elsie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I saw The Boy 2 with Katie Holmes, which... Um, just go see another movie. Like, I... Uh, I don't... So, the the first boy was very, like, polarizing, and some people really liked it because it does take, like, a really... It has a very interesting end. Like, I feel like that's what won a lot of people over, was, like, the ending actually was pretty, like shocking and they went in a very different direction than like most movie leads you to believe it is and this movie does not do that at all and it's just very very contrived and i was not a fan of it um 
It's made eight million in the box office so far. Against a ten million dollar budget. Yeah. Yeah, horror has not done great to start off this year, um, box office wise, except Fantasy Island, which has already tripled its budget. Um, but I, I mean, review wise, I don't think anything did well except Underwater, which tanked uh, at the box office. And then um, box office wise, things have been running and they've been struggling. I think um, The Grudge ended up turning up a profit, too, but it just wasn't a very big one. Yeah, so far, Fantasy Islands made $33.8 million. Yeah, it's almost five times its budget now. Um, that's the Blumhouse model. Jeff Wadlow. you think of you think that by now studios would recognize this. Well, I mean, Brahms cost 10 Yeah, Brahms is low. That's true. Yeah. Um, but it's just the first movie. I don't th- so how did the first movie do? I know... Like, I know a lot of people didn't really like it, but I wonder how it did in the box office. And it kept getting pushed, too. Like The I, second one? Yeah, the second one like got pushed numerous times. Um, let's see, the first one made... It's 64. Made 64 on a 10. Yeah. That's pretty good, six times, yeah. So I don't know, but uh, I, like I said, I and I actually liked The Grudge and The Turning, which a lot of people did not, but... Uh, was not a fan of the boy too. Just not my jam. Sorry, Katie Holmes. Not really. Not really. Yeah, she was also not very good in the movie. Yeah, Ray and I were discussing the fact that she's just not a very good actress. Yeah. Like I can't really think of anything I've seen her in where I was like, yeah, she was good. She's okay in Batman, and that's about it for me. I forgot she was in that. Yeah, Batman Begins, and because then they switched Maggie. to Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah. yeah. She's a very good actress. Yeah, Maggie Gyllenhaal is awesome. So, I know. Whoa. That's the first one. The first yeah. grudge made $187 million. Yeah, it was the first movie to come out after The Ring during the J-Horror remake That's like craze. cuckoo. That's why the second one got greenlit so fast. Wow. Yeah. Um, I went to Colorado. Um, I don't think I've talked about that. No been a blur uh my sister and her brother-in-law are so and her brother-in-law i can't talk today guys your brother-in-law my brother-in-law her brother-in-law is my husband um my sister and her husband are celebrating 20 years this month they actually got married on leap day so they get like a real anniversary this year um and they have a 15 year old and a nine year old and they decided to celebrate their anniversary they were going to go on vacation without the kids for the first time ever um because they always just take them when they go places so she went to cabo and i went to her house and played mom to my niece and nephew for a week on top of that they also uh are moving and their like moving trucks came like a week after I left and so my sister's like um can you pack up my house so packed up her like entire house and took care of three kids by myself for a week and it was super nice to have like the quality time with my niece and nephew it really 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 made me appreciate my husband for a variety of reasons (laughs) but like first and foremost just being like a great dad and a very present one and one that um is super involved and helps me all the time 
which, you know, shouldn't be an assumption, but I mean, that's just not everybody's reality. One parent, sometimes one parent takes the stronger load. And I think we do a really good job of, of sharing that. Um, so it was hard to just parent my own kid for a week without any support, um, let alone adding two, two more onto that. And then, you know, just this is the longest we've ever been apart. So we've been together nine years now and we did seven days and that since we've been together, that's the longest we've been apart. And I was like, yep, that's too long. Like, that's not for me. I definitely like the, um, coming home. Like, I don't know how people handle spouses that are you know deployed or have jobs where they have to travel overnight like it just it's just not for me um I need my my routine um but yeah so I've been just super busy back in California happy to not be in seven degree snowy weather it's been like 70 plus degrees here and I love it um but I did with my niece uh we watched to all the boys I loved before, and then we watched the new one, the second one that just came out. Um, so we did like a little double feature in the morning with those two, and yeah, I thought the second one was really cute, and it actually made me want. It definitely feels like a middle of the story. Yes, a hundred percent. Um, and it made me want to read the books. I'm like, oh, I should probably read these because I probably really like them. Um, it it didn't. It definitely doesn't hit the same as the first one did at all with that said though i think it was really good i think the end is super adorable uh yeah and i like it's so funny so there's a a storyline in it and i mean you know my niece is 15 and i remember my mom doing this to me i like didn't understand but like i knew what was gonna happen right and like i wasn't trying to ruin it for her but i was like oh there's a relationship in this movie and it really reminds me of me and Ryan's. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, just wait till the movie's over and I'll explain it to you. And it was so funny, though, because there is just a storyline they play with that, like, very much reminds me of the whole, like, just having a, like, best friend of the opposite sex. Um, but I liked that whole aspect of it. And, yeah, I thought it was really cute. I think I'm excited to see... The next one, I'm glad they're making them. Yeah. Um, she's super charming. She's super charming. I overall really did like it. I hated Noah's hair in it. I was like, who let him be on the screen with this shaggy-ass haircut? But other than that, no, I thought it was... Uh, it was. I liked um, like the Stormy character, right? Was that her name? Stormy? Wasn't that her name? Oh, yes. In the retirement home. Uh-huh. Like, she was uh-huh. fun and, like... Yeah. I, Holland... I mean, what is her last name? I don't know. Um, and then I just wish John Corden was in it more. Yeah. Because he's great. John he's Corbin? Yeah. Corbin. Uh, yeah. Corbett. Cor- Cor- sure. The guy from um, Big Factory Wedding. I really like him. Yeah, and Sex in the City. I know. That's why I told Cades. I'm like, also, like, you know, your aunt's old because, like, that's the hottie. Like, I love him and I'm obsessed with him. She's like, what? No. I'm like, yeah, but these guys are like in this movie are kids you got to remember that i can't find them attractive she's like oh i guess that's true yeah they're playing juniors in high school it's like no No, uh that's our very exciting check-in can you tell we're tired yeah life is busy yeah yeah um but we decided to watch we didn't even mean to do two proto slashers in a row sorry not sorry but like we did because we 
we were just like, we have to pick something. She's like, Maniac, it's on Prime. I was like, let's do it. So we are doing Maniac from 1980. Yeah, I've been going through, there's this list on Paste Magazine, I believe, and it's like the best slashers of all time. And uh, I've been looking through it, and we've actually covered almost all of the ones they've mentioned. Oh, wow. Um, but then there's a few, and a lot of them are, like, either the proto-slashers, there's a, there's quite a few more, like, um, giallos on the list, mm. um, some more Argento stuff. And probably um, stuff that we aren't ready to cover yet. Yeah, and then, of course, like, um, movies that we know we're, we don't want to cover anytime soon. Uh, and this was one of the ones that's on them. I've never seen it. I've only seen the remake, and I actually didn't really realize that it was a slasher. Like, I looked it up, I'm like, is that a slasher movie? Because... The remake definitely doesn't feel like a slasher movie, to me at least. It's been a while since I've seen it, um, and not in the lens of thinking of this podcast. But um, I saw it on there, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, and it is definitely a proto-slasher. Yeah, for sure. Um, The synopsis is, a psychotic man troubled by his childhood abuse loose in New York City kills young women and takes their scalps as his trophies. Will he find the perfect woman in a photographer and end his killing spree? It sounds like some sort of weirdo romantic comedy. Like that. Will she be the one right? to end his psychotic tendencies? Let's find out. Yeah, this is a lifetime movie. Um, it was it premiered in New York City January 30th, 1981, before a wide release March 6th, 1981. That's Everywhere funny. you look, it will be credited as 1980 because it was filmed in 1980. So that's, like, what it gets credited as, even though it was released in 81. Weird. It's definitely one of those movies, too, that, like, it feels like New York. Like, it's... Uh-huh. Like, and part of it is it was filmed very guerrilla because super low budget, couldn't really get a lot of financing because of the material. It was self-financed by William Lustig um, after a very successful porno that he put out, um, and he had the money for it. So that yeah, the box off or the budget was three hundred fifty thousand. Just like nothing. Yes, a movie that's insane. So tiny, and then the box office was ten million. So very successful compared to budget, um, and has definitely like gone on to make more money off. I'm sure many like the horror community because it's turned itself into like very much a cult classic. Yeah, and yeah, it was one of those ones that was. It didn't officially become like. It was labeled as an exploitation film, mm-hmm. and but it didn't ever get fully. Would get like con. What was that whole thing called? The dirty. The video nasties. Yeah, the video yeah. nasties. Like it was confiscated, and I guess like overseas more so than here in the states. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely had that reputation, and they fought like was trying to get it out there for sure. Yeah, uh, mostly condemned upon release uh, for its depictions of violence, Siskel. If you guys don't know who Gene Siskel is, by the way, I just realized maybe some of you don't. So if – or Ebert. uh, Two very, very famous film critics. Most of you probably know who Ebert is, but Siskel was still alive when we were growing up, but he passed away. But it used to be Siskel and Ebert before it became Ebert and Roper. Um, So Gene Siskel was like the the tandem pair with – Ebert, um, he said the movie could not redeem itself from the violence and claimed to have walked out after the shotgun death. Vincent Canby of the New York Times wrote, Good sense, if not heaven, should protect anyone who thinks uh, who thinks he likes horror films from wasting a price of admission on Maniac, a movie that shows how an aging, pot-bellied maniac slices up young women of no great intelligence. So, Thanks. yeah, they uh, it was very, very much yeah. like 
condemned. Which I get. Oh, 100%. I especially yes. get in 1981. I mean, watching it now for the first time in, oh, fuck, 2020. That sounds insane to say. Um, it's hard to watch. 40 years later? Yeah. Fuck. It's hard to watch. It's really mm-hmm. violent mm-hmm. and sickening and creepy and, and part of it is because it's low budget yeah like the so the way they had it's to film stuff raw. it's and so it, raw and it has savini's talent right so savini which, does the effects and they're yeah really good like insanely good yeah he's at his prime here yeah like it's it's incredible what he does in it um so it's done better with reviews now people looking back like we are and um assessing it um, so it has 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, because of this, the Hollywood Reporter said it that the film is something of a grubby touchstone among genre fans, um, which is for sure true. Yep. Um, film scholar John Kenneth Mayer wrote that the film positively oozes sleaze and despair, and that's a compliment. After watching Maniac, you'll want to take a deep breath, maybe even a shower, but you won't have wasted 90 minutes on something that has no meaning, no pulse, and no heart. I definitely agree with that. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. It's hard to watch, but this movie, like, it, I think the reason for me it doesn't feel exploitative is it actually could have had a lot more, like, nudity. There's a lot of sexual themes in it, but you don't see anything, really. Um, yeah. The violence no is exploitative. Rape. Yeah, there's no rape. There's not even, like... Like I said, like the when there's he like ha- a flash of nudity. Yeah, the very last kill when he has sex with like when he starts to have sex with the first prostitute. Like he tells her to keep her clothes on. Yeah. When um, Savini's having sex in the back of the car, she only like they're just like making out and he's feeling her thighs up. But like there, so I, it doesn't feel exploitative because it does. Like to me, it does feel like this is a filmmaker doing something he's passionate about and just because that's it's like raw and grimy doesn't mean that it's exploitative it just yeah. means it's a, it's hard to watch um this poster is very iconic i will yeah. say that like even if the movie is not the poster is definitely like this is the box art you remember in, yeah in the video store so it's got um our killer frank um illustrated um holding a you know, scalp and a knife in one hand with blood on it. And then he's, like, standing in a puddle of blood and the tagline's above and it says, I warned you not to go out tonight. And then it says maniac. Um, and, like, a handwritten, um, like, brush script that looks, you know, somewhat graffiti-like, which I feel like fits the New York. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, this poster is perfect we've got our killer on the cover um it's illustrated which was you know big trend of the 80s so it fits in with that we see our weapon we see like one of the deaths or one of the girls that dies essentially um the type treatment it's very well designed it doesn't feel like the movie though it's a little almost too glossy for it It, well right i feel like it should have like a more last house on the left poster treatment Mm -hmm. um that feels more like one color screen print type um more text-based graphic image that's um more posterized and not fully illustrated and colorful like this feels very friday 13th and that's what this movie is this feels very mid 80s yeah like chopping mall Mm -hmm. or um intruder 
And so, and that's not really what you get, which is funny because it's telling you exactly what happens in the movie, but I think it's the color. Mm -hmm. I think if it had more, like a more muted color palette or was in black and white and then they just did, you know, the puddles of blood and red or whatever they wanted to do, it would, it would fit the movie, the tone of the movie more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It has numerous taglines. One on the cover is I warned you not to go out tonight. Um, another was run from this man. Uh, All right. Yep. We have our super generic one, of course, which is it'll tear the life out of you. Um, and then the really long and unnecessary one, which is you can lock your windows and doors, but you can't lock the madman out of your mind. Wow. Which I also don't like that at all. Um, I think the one on the cover is definitely like the best one. Um, cause I hate super generic taglines. And then also like that makes it sound like it's a movie about, like someone who's being possessed or like i don't know something like you can't I mean, like he the... is a madman in his head in his own head but like you can lock your windows and doors but you can't lock the mad like it makes it sound like you're the madman oh right or like, like it's a freddy situation yeah like yeah well in he's in he, yeah he's uh-huh. inside it's like true true yeah because he talked like yeah he's crazy he talks to himself the whole damn movie but like when it's like you can lock your windows and doors and it's like yeah but that's not so i, I, I don't love that either ryan says no yeah no um, no sequels. The one was pitched on, the, I guess, on one of the blues that they've put out. You can actually, they filmed, like, a short for it to try to get funding for Maniac 2, Mr. Robbie, which was going to be a short, or, um, which was going to be a remake of 1973's The Psychopath, and it would have been about a teacher who murders, like, basically bad parents. Um, so the, the short is available, but they stopped all attempts at, fu- uh, funding it when Joe Spinell died. So never, yeah, they never went on to do that. But there was a remake in 2012, like be mentioned. Yeah, uh, with Elijah Wood and then Aja, I think, produced it, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. Um, I like the remake a lot. It's been years. I probably haven't seen it since 2012, but I remember liking it. Same. I, yeah, I definitely didn't live in Sacramento yet when I saw it. So. And it's definitely very, it's all POV. Yeah, Elijah Wood's like not ever in it. Like, no, you, you only barely see him in shots yeah. or like windows. Um, which I assumed that's how this movie was going to be filmed. And then when it started, I'm like, oh, it's not like this at all. I just assumed that was something they had passed along. Um, yeah. So I really like the remake again. Like Ryan said, I have probably haven't seen it since 2012 either. So I'd be interested to see how I feel about it now and, um, separate from like now knowing this movie. Yeah. Um, see what i think um william lustig was the director um he produced a lot of porn um he did maniac cop one two and three and uncle sam yeah and i just had to put uncle sam on there so uncle sam is like from this era of horror where they were like a lot of like there was like leprechaun and then there was like rumple stilt skin and there was uncle sam and jack frost and they were just taking like famous characters and turning them into monsters essentially and uncle sam is one of the funniest ones because it's like it's uncle sam but he's got like green eyes and like a goblin nose and stuff i know i tried to rewatch it i think like two fourth of july's ago and i was just like I don't know about this movie, but I... You don't need to do this. Yeah, but Maniac Cop 1, 2, and 3, I've actually never seen any of them. Um, They're supposedly remaking it with Nicholas Winding Refn attached and Lustig attached again, but it's been on the books since, like, 2016, so I don't know if it's going to happen. So, yeah. 
iffy. Um, Joe Spinell and C.A. Rosenberg are the writers. This is the only thing they have written. Yeah, and then the score is by Jay Chataway, who did this, and then literally a fuckload of Star Trek episodes for every series. When you look it up, it's like Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, like just a ton of Star Trek. Interesting. Yeah, which is pretty funny because this sounds nothing like Star Trek. No. Mm-mm. I mean, this is very, very, uh, like, appropriate for the era. Yeah. Yeah, the score. So this does, similar to the other proto-slasher we watched recently, Town That Dreaded Sundown, where you're, a lot of it has to do with, like, the breathing of the characters and using that to sort of, and silence to edge the suspense. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's your, you know, violin, screeching, like, very traditional... It, like abrupt music mm-hmm. um it all the build-up and anticipation they use with either the character breathing or um or killer breathing or stuff like that and then when something happens the music comes in they don't use it to build a lot of dread oh yeah no not at all it's mostly in the segue scenes like mm-hmm. the in-betweens where we're getting a lot more of the music uh joe spinell is our star is frank Cito, who's our killer um, he is very famous for roles in Taxi Driver, Rocky 1 and 2, and The Godfather. So he was, like, very prolific as an actor. Um, he kind of had that, you know, he was Italian-American, and he kind of had that, like, that, like, greasy mobster, like, vibe that was very popular in the era. Yeah, and it's, it's funny, because while I was watching this, I would, it was definitely one of those moments where, like, it's got to be a time thing. Like, I don't understand. Like, I wonder if he was more attractive in 1980 than I see him now. Because, of course, um, the person who plays his girlfriend, Anna, is gorgeous. And she's just like, oh, you're asking me out? And we've got, you know, exactly how he's described in one of those reviews. Like, this pot belly, like, kind of gross, creepy guy. And she's like, oh, yeah, of course I'll go on a date with you. I'm like, but really? Like, maybe, I guess. Yeah, but, like, here's the difference, too. Like, everyone's attracted to their own thing. His, he does not have a winning personality. So. No. <laughs> so, like, yeah, it is one of those things where you're like, is this plot point or is this maybe the era? I don't know. Yeah, like, not understanding. Who knows? That was my note on that. So he wrote it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so he also wrote this movie and it was the only thing he wrote. Um, but just very interesting for him to do that, I think, after being in all those movies. And like, it's just strange too, because a lot of times when you see someone in like a lot of those types of movies, they try to write something like that. And he did not even go close taxi driver on the level of violence, maybe. But other than that, nothing. Yeah. All of those are Academy Award winning movies. (laughs) Yeah. Those all, all those movies have Oscars. Yeah. I don't know if Rocky 2 does, but, but Rocky, Rocky does. Yeah, and Rocky The Godfather does. and Taxi Driver. Yeah. Uh, Caroline Monroe is Anna D'Antoni. Um, sure. She was very prolific in the 70s and 80s. Uh, lots of horror, um, like hammer horror films. And then as well as like Last Horror Film, which also starred Joe Spinell in it. Um, don't Open Till Christmas. She was in our, you know, one of our favorites, Slaughter High quote-unquote favorites yeah um i wish that had been in here like when she came up it was the music yeah i think that was later though yeah it had to be slaughter high uh not much oh wait i can't remember that's either one i thought that i'd say like 83 84 right 
1986. Oh, wow. So quite a bit later. Yeah. Um, she was also a Bond girl. Um, so she was in The Spy Who Loved Me. So she got around, like, the genre in its, its like, uh, kind of fringe genres. Uh, the rest of the cast, not a whole lot of, like, big names. A lot of them don't even have, like, IMDb's. Um, but Gail Lawrence is Rita. Kelly Piper is the nurse. Rita Montone as Hooker. Tom Savini as Disco Boy. It's the best. Yeah, and as we mentioned, Tom, like, we've mentioned Tom Savini on the show before, and we'll probably mention him again. Um, he is arguably the most famous um, horror movie special effects artist ever um like in the top three for sure uh and i read up on this the main reason he plays this character is because it was so low budget he already had a cast of his own head um that they use in the kill scene so he already had it ready to go so he just plays the character that makes sense yeah um disco boy yeah disco boy hyla morrow as disco girl james brewster as beach boy linda lee walter as beach girl tracy evans as street hooker (laughs) Sharon Mitchell as Nurse 2, Carol Henry as Deadbeat, Neela Bachmeister as Carmen Zito, um, that's the mother who you only see in flashback scenes, Louis Jowitz as Art Director, Denise Spagnuolo as Denise, Billy Spagnuolo as Billy, Frank (laughs) Pesci as TV reporter, and then William Lustig cameos as the hotel manager in the movie. So he is in it for a moment. I thought in that scene too... Um, when she, like, asks for her regular room and then she doesn't come back. I'm yeah. like, don't you think they'd notice, like, if she's gone longer than, like, a half hour and that's, like, her regular room, you know? I also, yeah, totally. And also I thought it was weird that just, he goes, five extra dollars for a color TV. Yeah. And then he pays it. And I'm yeah. like, what the fuck? Why? <laughs> that's... And then $30 with tax or whatever it yeah. was. Yeah, but it was crazy. Uh, another thing, I was like, oh, 1980, it was $35 for a hotel room. Must be nice, because it's, like, the cheapest thing you'll ever find anymore is, like, 80 bucks, and it's, like, not anywhere you want to stay. Yeah. The times have changed. Uh, Frank Zito is our killer. He is, um, his prostitute mother abused him as a child, um, and it's very much alluded to that he also, um, he also killed her, I think. Like, it's very, very much like... That he killed his mom? Yeah. He did. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, he constantly sees her when he's, like, strangling. Yeah, and he mentions, like, oh, I... Like, she got in a car accident. That's what he tells his girlfriend, Anna. But then when he has his, like, mental breakdown, he's going, I'm, I didn't mean to hurt... Or when he's to Rita, he's, like, talking to Rita as if it's his mom. He's like, I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't want to hurt you. Like... Where, where, what is his job? He looks like he's wearing, like, security guard outfit almost. Does, does it ever say, though? Does he have a job? I don't know. Yeah, He has I don't. money all the time, but I don't know if he just gets it off people he kills. Yeah. No, there's no, I just assumed he didn't have a job. Oh, yeah, maybe not. I don't know. Um, yeah, I was just wondering. Um, I, he, he uses a straight razor for most of the movie for, for scalping. scalping, but there's not, like, a real faint, I, iconic weapon that he uses throughout it. Um, that big knife on the cover, like, he uses the knife a couple times, but, like, there's nothing really that stands out as, like, the iconic weapon. Yeah, and his kind of MO is, it makes it seem like he's, his mom got around, whether she, you know, was a sex worker or whether she just brought a lot of men home, it's, we don't know, but, and he felt, like, damaged by that, like, why, 
you know, I loved you and you didn't, he felt like neglected from Mm her. Um, and he goes out, funny enough, not just women, but he definitely targets women that look like his mom or remind him of his mom and then almost tries to like bring her back. Mm -hmm. Or he thinks in his mind, he thinks that she is back. She's kind of like haunting him in these other women. Yeah. And so he gets these women and then he ends up, he doesn't want to kill them, but then he kind of ends up killing them anyways. Yeah. He's definitely damaged. Yeah. Like, well, that's troubled. like part of his like cycle, his yes. like psychotic cycle as he goes, he sees a woman and the only men he kills are because they're with women. Um, he sees a woman, It. he thinks it's his mother um, haunting him. He goes, okay, I'm going to bring this woman, like I'm going to keep this one alive. I'm going to do it right. I'm not going to kill her. I don't want to kill her. I didn't want, I don't want to do that. Um, and then either the girl misbehaves in his eyes, like has sex or, um, says the wrong thing or has too much makeup on her, like looks the wrong way. And then he has to kill them. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the cycle starts over. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the movie literally starts with like this beach scene killing and like, it's a past crime he's committed because it's two people have just, they've just had sex on the beach and then, like, he goes to... Get wood. Yeah, to get wood. cold. And um, and then we don't see Frank yet. Like, at, at the time, it, we just see his hands. And he, like, um, razors the girl across the throat. And then the man comes back to find her. And he's approached from behind and then strangled to death with, like, a razor wire or, like, some sort of... Like, Garrett Garot? I don't know how you say it, but... Words. One of those. Um, And then, like, Frank wakes up. And so he's been, like, dreaming about it. Um, And we see him leave. And he's approached by a prostitute outside of a hotel. And they go in and, like, Frank is trying to have sex with her. And he keeps pushing her off because he's getting, obviously, like, tempted to kill her. Um, And then finally, like, he does just give in and he strangles her. And this is where we discover that, like, Frank has a thing for scalping women because he... This was gross. Like, the effects here, like, when he scalps her, I was like, this is really disgusting. Yeah. Because it's very good. Like, it looks very real. It looked good. Yeah. But in a gross way where I was like, ew, like, god damn it, Savini. That's disgusting. But, like, he's, like, literally, like, peeling the top of a her stop. head off. Yeah. It looks gross. Yeah. Um, and then putting them on me. Very, like... TCM, putting them on mannequins and like... Yeah, yeah. And he says beauty is a crime that's punishable by death. And um, so uh, he like goes out to kind of like find someone because he packs a, a shotgun with him in a guitar case. Yeah. Yeah. And he finds this couple having sex. That's Tom Savini, um, Savini's character. And like they're having sex and the girl see Or they're about to have sex. And the girl sees him and she's like, I want to go. So they're about to leave. And he like, Savini turns his headlights on and like there's frank standing in like the like the fog and the dust of the car and stuff and it's actually a really creepy scene because he like doesn't move at all and then he just jumps up on the screen or on the hood of the car and fucking shoots tom savini in the face with a double barrel shotgun and this scene is again just savini at his peak because it's gnarly as shit his head like explodes yeah and there's like like, bone in it yeah yeah it's all over her yeah 
and then and it's yeah. like a slow motion scene like the head like rocks back there's like bone in it so i looked it up too and it's like it was full of fake blood and food Ew. yeah so savini put food in there Gross. like old food and you let it no, rot stop yeah. and then so it was all filmed gorilla style right so this was actually truly filmed under the verrazano bridge and so when it was filmed they were so afraid of getting busted because they used a real shotgun yeah that they were waiting there was a truck waiting and as soon as he shoots it they threw the gun in the truck and it took off <laughs> so that if someone were to arrive, they'd yeah. be like, no, there's, we don't have a gun. We, we don't have any weapon. Yeah. So like super gorilla style, uh, which I thought was pretty like fascinating. Yeah. When I went to um, like my summer film school, one of my teachers, so we were asking, we needed to shoot something. And he's like, well, you're, they're going to tell you no. So when if you want to make anything you have to like ask for forgiveness not permission yep yeah and i was like 15 at the time i was like what like i have a teacher telling me this it's like yeah no we tried to shoot something like out ralph's and we wanted a shopping cart and they're like they're not going to give you guys a shopping cart it's not going to happen just do it if you get in trouble just say oh we didn't know that's it yeah yeah and it's like wild how much that happens throughout the 80s like that was very very prevalent and it's like weird when you see it now like that movie that came out a couple years i guess longer than a couple years but um escape from tomorrow i think it was called oh that was yeah shot in disneyland yeah which yeah. is insane yeah so and the fact that disney didn't sue them is insane i know I everyone don't. was like well this movie's never going to come out because yeah. disney's not going to allow it and they disney were like won't okay even, with it disney ha- has people like if you have quotes or anything from disney movies you don't have to use any icons if you're using a quote from a disney movie on like etsy they'll flag you yeah so i always thought that was wild um but it was cool to just like read that and really realize like how how gorilla this movie was and like i don't know how they got that helicopter shot it's cheap you can tell because it's like super shoddy looking it's probably just stock yeah yeah that's true because it's like nighttime new york city yeah, they just probably bought it from a stock library. Um, yeah, so he adds, like, he has the, like B said, he has the mannequin collection. So he kills this woman, he shoots her, and then, like, takes takes her home. And he's watching the report literally about him killing these people as he, like, is crying. And then he, like, adds the scalp to the collection and falls asleep. Um, and then this scene where he meets Anna, like, well, he follows Anna. I thought it was so weird, though, how he's just, like, a little girl, like, is riding a bike near him and he grabs her and he's like, better watch where you're going. Uh-huh. And I was just like, this is fucking, and then she takes a picture of it and I was like, oh, this is weird. Uh-huh. Like, what a strange, like he's, I mean, he's obviously like a weird guy, but like also for her to take a picture of that is very strange and he like sees it. So he follows her. Um, yeah. So that's like how he, well, like, and all their interactions too. And he like, uh, like when he gets to her house and, she opens the door and she's like, oh, that's like crazy. He's like, yeah, I'm the one you took a picture of at the park. And like she doesn't question that he knows where she lives. And then he gets inside and he's like, and she's like, oh, yeah, I was just looking at that picture. I he's like, yeah, I want to talk to you about that. And then just like comes inside. I'm like, no, this is not normal. And then he asks her out. Yeah. And I was like, this is so weird. After showing her a picture of his dead mom. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean... Like, I haven't seen somebody as beautiful as you since my mother. Here she is when she was young. It's, I mean, it's, 
there's a reason there was only one movie that this yeah. wrote. Um, like, I wouldn't say that this movie's strong point is its writing. No. Um, it's definitely, like, the direction. Characters should not talk in this movie. No. anytime they do, you're just like, what? Yeah. What's happening? He, like, stalks a nurse, too, in the middle of all this that he sees, who I guess reminds him of his mother. Yeah. Because um, he, like, stalks her on the subway and, like, follows her into, like, a bathroom. Uh-huh. And she's hiding and then, like... She thinks that he's gone, and she comes up and made, he murders her with a bayonet, um, like from behind, like stabs her in the chest. Yeah, and this is like the biggest scene where it was super quiet, really mm-hmm. suspenseful. I, I was super uncomfortable, and a lot of, a lot of breathing, like very weird, fearful. Like I couldn't tell. I was like, is she scared? Like, I don't know. It was a little bit strange. Yeah. Um. It was, especially like when she's like thinks he's gone, like the noises she was making. Yeah, she's, she's making. I'm like, I don't really know what these noises are supposed to mean. Like, is this a noise of relief? Like, it almost sounded like she was climaxing. <laughs> and like this scene was another one where it's like it's even the little stuff like that. Savini's so thoughtful. Like when he get because she gets stabbed and I like because she's wearing all white. Like the way the blood bleeds out, like is really. The way the blood bleeds. Yeah, the way of the blood bleeds. But, like, it's the way, like, he stabs her and then, like, it slowly, you know, like, stains the, like, nurse's outfit. And I just, like, even little stuff like that, I think, is just, it elevates this movie yeah, beyond what it detail. could have been. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. With, with, the, with the lesser special effects artists on this movie, it would have been half the movie that it mm-hmm. is. Like, they are so lucky they scored Savini. Um, yeah, and then, like B said, he, he, like, meets Anna by just going to her apartment and then the, one of the funniest things in the movie to me is when he goes to her fashion shoot and the music that's playing. <laughs> because it's, like, super, like, upbeat, like, 80s music. And it's so off-putting. Uh-huh. And it's like, really weird. Yeah. And, like, they're, like, you know, very, like, sparse studio. And, like, it's, it's like, an it, I mean, it's kind of like an 80s montage, like, that exists. You know, those are famous for a reason. But it's just in the middle of this incredibly gruesome horror movie um and it's just her shooting these models like i i like <laughs> i i wasn't watching the screen when the music that's changed. what happened to me too yeah so i looked and then and i, was I like, looked and i was really happening? confused yeah yeah i was making something to eat and i was like watching out my phone and then i like heard it and i like look back down like what did i miss <laughs> like I, this is not going on like two seconds ago yeah uh, he gets jealous of Rita, who is, like, one of Anna's friends, and he steals her necklace. I love this, too. He steals her necklace and goes to her house to give her the necklace back, uh-huh. but as a gift. And then he ties her to the bed, and this is where we really get one of the biggest moments of kind of his psychoses, because he talks to her a lot. Yeah. Um, like, he takes her gag off, and he's talking to her, and he's kind of, like, switching back and forth between, like, understanding who she is and acting like she's his mother. Yeah. Um, and he makes it seem like he's not going to kill her, like he's going to keep her. Because um, she's like, please don't kill me. She stays really quiet mm-hmm. the whole time. And then finally he says something and she's like, please don't kill me. And he's like, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to keep you forever. And then he kills, he, her. he kills her. He goes through his cycle and realizes that she has to die. Yeah. So he stabs her in the stomach with a switchblade um, and then also scalps her. Um, and this is another one of those moments, like, B talks about, like, no score. Just, like, really uncomfortable, yeah. like, him pacing and talking to himself and her sitting there, like, pulling at her, like, binds. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. Um, 
Frank and Anna go on a date to his mother's grave <laughs> in a cemetery. Also, so <clears throat> this this is so funny too. Like so much of the like circumstances of this movie were cracking me up. So he's drives. I assume he drives to like a separate location to call her from a payphone to like not be tracked. So he's like by a warehouse, parked on the sidewalk, which I thought was really funny. His car is literally on the sidewalk. Calls her from a payphone and says like, "Hey, want to go like on a date tonight?" And she's like, yeah, sounds great. And he's like, could you be ready in 15 minutes? And she's like, I could be ready in 10. I'm like, well, one, that never happens. There's no like, hey, want to go out tonight and then be like, you ready in 15? And then he, you know, drives over to her off the sidewalk and there's, he just drives up and she's waiting outside of her apartment and he honks and she gets in the car. I'm like, you didn't discuss that on the phone. Like, I know that seems really silly and nitpicky, but it just felt so bizarre yeah. that I super noticed it. I was like, so she just knew you would be outside waiting for her? That's what you got from your entire phone conversation, which was, want to go out tonight? Yeah. Can you be ready in 15 minutes? I'll be ready in 10. Yep. Uh, no, a lot of this movie is just like, what's the quickest route? Yeah. What's the quickest route there? Um, so they're at the cemetery and he like starts to mourn one of his early victims. So he attacks Anna and like he chases her around the cemetery and she hits him with a shovel. Um, and then he like, this is like the only like, well, this leads into like the weird part where the movie almost feels supernatural Uh because he hallucinates that his decomposing mother comes out of the grave to attack him. So he runs back to his apartment and then all the mannequins come to life to kill him. Um, and this scene is also really weird because, like, there's cert- you can tell that like, there are certain people just moving mannequin hands, but there's also real hands because they need to do things. Yeah. So there's, like, real human arms in there, but also, like, just, like, these really stiff <laughs> mannequin arms that someone's just moving off screen. But they, like, slowly close in on him, and then they all, like, it's really creepy, actually. It is. It's really super creepy. creepy. Especially when, when he looks to the side and the headless mannequin comes up yeah and it's just like squirting blood from its neck and i was like this is really like unsettling it's super unsettling and they like tear him apart yeah they literally like rip rip his face off yeah they like they cut him open they chop one of his arms off they rip his head off of his body and rip his face off and then like we snap to the police because sure. obviously, like, Anna has gone and yeah. reported him. So the police show up at his apartment and, like, bust his door in and he's dead. And it, he it, he's attempted. This or was he's so weird, himself. too. Yeah. That two street-clothed cops show up to a suspect who's, you know, killed eight people that they know of. And they just show up in plain clothes with their little pistols and... See that he's dead. But very urgently, too. Yeah. Like they rush in. Yeah. Just, yeah, just the one car. See that he's dead, look around, see all the fucking mannequins, and then just close the door and walk away. Yeah, they literally, like, just leave. And then there's a, like, you know, stinger where he opens his eyes. Yeah, it zooms in and he opens his eyes. Uh, yeah, so it's a weird ending. I It's good, like, because the mannequin scene is creepy as shit. It's so creepy, and no, exactly what you said, like, the special effects make this movie what it is. If it was something like, you know, Terror Train, where it's like the effects in that movie helped make that not a good movie. Right. It really cheapened what little they did do, because... 
they didn't have this backup and the effects in this are so good it elevates the movie to like an insane level that you just can't it makes it feel real yeah and if it was and because of the low production like it is very in favor for them yeah to, to not have like a big budget on this so if it would have been you know lesser effects or they did a like a lot of cutaways and stuff the movie wouldn't feel very good Mm -mm. and what i do think was written really well is the fact that we do have this sort of breakdown of our killer because that's what this is a slasher but instead of focusing on our group of you know people or whoever is getting stalked we're you know seeing it from the killer's perspective which a lot of proto slashers did uh-huh. that was like a common well, thing well and even yeah i want to say is like well black christmas is about the girls too mm-hmm. um but like halloween is sort of like even split in the middle it's a little bit from michael's perspective but i probably the first one that really puts like the person he's stalking at the forefront. Right, which is why it becomes yeah. the blueprint for the slasher yeah. formula. Yeah. Um, but it's – what is really nice about this is that this – our kill we don't have a final girl arc, but our killer's arc is really interesting mm-hmm. and really raw and believable. Mm-hmm. So that when we have this sort of crazy – supernatural like breakdown at the end where we're going like wait what's happening like is this real like we know it's not real we know this is happening in his head and that's what makes it scary because we're like oh my god to him this is really happening um and it's done so well and so eloquently and it's like i said i mean he's had a cycle the entire movie and then to get to the end and cycle be that he you know, in reality, dies at the hand of the women he killed, at the hand of his mother. Um, That's what led him to kill himself, um, was them and them haunting him. Um, I think it's a really good arc for a killer. Yeah, no, like, it's like you said, the right, the, the, the dialogue is not good in this movie, but, like, the, what's actually happening is very well done. And, like, the way that we get to see his psych how much his psychosis affects him and like really breaks him down throughout the film um there is no final girl really we have anna she does survive mm-hmm. but she doesn't and she's the reason the police right know, but she she's gets not caught like she has no arc she is barely a character like yeah. i mean she's beautiful um and she fends him off. She just manages to be the first woman who fends him off. Mm-hmm. Um, so not really a final girl. Um, but again, kind of typical for a proto-slasher. Right. Especially um, the one character you don't really have. Right. What is your favorite kill? It's so hard when we watch movies like this to pick a favorite <laughs> kill. Because like, it feels gross. Because it feels gross. Because yeah. like the word favorite, uh-huh. like what's the favorite kill? So like like even in Alice Sweet Alice, it's like what's your favorite? So like in – you know, for these, I think you we would say instead, like, what's the most, what was the most shocking or effective kill? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not our favorite. Yeah. Um, hmm. I've, I'm going to cheat. Mm-hmm. And my favorite kill is going to be Frank's. 
Uh, uh, where he dies. Yeah, where yeah, he dies. That's good. No, yeah. that's solid. Um, um, not the fact that you know he stabbed himself in the stomach, but the, you know the mannequins. The and, mannequins, yeah, and, and also I wanted victims. him to die. Yeah. Oh, you definitely <laughs> like. Him to oh die. my yeah. god. Yeah. Um, I'm going the Savini like headshot just because it's yeah. so technically impressive and nasty. Yeah, and it's just it it always again it always like. I just don't know how people can watch movies like this and then come to now and be like, let's do CG. And I'm like, no, like, just do it like this. It looks so much more, like, it looks real and effective and, like, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't get it. I Like, I, I don't mind the blend of the two. Like, that's something I understand a lot more. I think mm-hmm. that actually helped, like, Del Toro does that a lot, and I think it works really well. But, like, yeah, I don't know how anyone can go back and watch these movies and not just be, like, dude, incredibly low budget 1980 gorilla film and like that kill looked more real and grosser than like most kills i see in like movies nowadays um it's this movie is not incredibly well known outside of the horror circle i actually or even like to base level fans i actually brought it up to my friend mike i had dinner with him today he's like oh what movie you guys probably casting about and i was like maniac he's like um that Jonah Hill series on Netflix? I'm like, no, no. Like, <laughs> no, not that. Yeah, and he's like, does it have a skull in the cover? I'm like, nope. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. So, um, and he's like, he watches horror movies. So, like, but to slasher fans, for sure. And yeah. then to, like, a little, I'd say, like, any, like, not even hardcore horror fans. but Or like, just an older generation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. People who aren't, you know, our age, which are, we're 90s babies. Like, right. Like, we grew up in the 90s. Like, if you ever um, hear the Shockwaves podcast, like, all four of those guys love yeah. this movie. So, if I would say, like, just, just the right next group, the people who grew up in the 80s. Right. Instead of the 90s for us, I think, would know this. Yeah. And it's very well known, too, because of how it was filmed and, like, how, you know, it's just a very, like, raw sweaty like real feeling movie um is this actually our 50th do we update? it is okay so this is our this is our 58th film wow we're almost at 60 now uh, at the end of every episode we do rank the movies um which you can find at keepstreaming.com slash the dash list and it's a ranking of not uh not our favorites but how well they work as a slasher and hopefully by listening to, like this episode and other episodes you can kind of tell what b and i breakdown as like slashers right. so yeah um there's a, a million tropes there are the big ones that hit the blueprint which are usually um a final girl um we've got a masked killer stalking said final girl and her friends yeah cat and mouse is very big for yeah slashers. um whodunit can be an element but not necessary almost always there needs to be something that happens in the beginning of the film and then we get a flash forward to later um that's one of the biggest uh tropes often that is a family tie right so it's something that happens to um the killer's family or this for some reason there's a a family tie issue right in, in the film that leads it um those i would say are the biggest of course there's like like this has a huge slasher trope at the very end the like killer's not really dead um those are all like minor tropes but the actual blueprint are the sort of those bigger ones yeah um so yeah this is uh our 58th movie at the top is my bloody valentine which has been raining for like two years plus at this point 
um, followed by Black Christmas from 1974 and Friday the 13th Part 2. And then at the bottom of the list, we have April Fool's Day, Girls' Night Out, and Cry Wolf. Um, so if you haven't listened to any of our other episodes, Proto Slashers, this is pretty typical, tend to fall further down on the list because they just they don't have a lot of those things that like slashers have. And if you aren't familiar with the term proto slasher, what it means is basically like a movie that came out before the term slasher was codified, which was basically like 83 when Halloween came out. Um, But they still follows a lot of the tropes, the bladed weapon rules, like a lot of those things. Um, So yeah, they just tend to fall a little lower anyways. So, and again, it's not a judgment based on what we felt about the movie as a whole. It's how it works as a slasher. So this, um, we actually did a a proto slasher last week as well, which was Alice Sweet Alice, which fell into 41. Mm -hmm. And I think this falls under that. Yeah, because Alice Sweet Alice, like, we have the family ties. We have, like, um... We have... A masked killer. We have a masked killer. We have a whodunit element. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have... Well, I mean, we kind of have a final girl with an Alice, but not really. Right. Um, that character doesn't quite exist. Um, or that trope of the final girl doesn't really exist. There is somebody who survives. Um, the, the story is about a family, but it's also like the motive of the killer. Um, so those are all, even for a proto-slasher, like, true blue and, like, 76 on uh, true blue um, slasher tropes. For this one, our biggest slasher elements is the stalking. Mm-hmm. Um, he's stalking and praying. He's killing almost always with a blade. Right. Um, so him himself as a killer is pretty slasher-like. He's not right. masked. No, but um, he does do like a gimmicky thing with the mannequins and the scalping, mm-hmm. which is another like slasher trope. It's yeah. like some sort of like gimmick with the kills. Right. Um, yeah. It's, but as I, far as the rest of, you know, the things that make it, I would say... Um, inventive, that's another thing, like inventive kills. The, the mm. focus, that's a big thing that like will flip something to be a slasher, it, at least in our eyes. And what we have studied is that the kills themselves have to be the focus of the movie. And that is the focus of this movie. Yeah. It's which, about the, the kills and the inventiveness of those. Right. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The pull, the payoff of those. Yeah. So that's like, I think helps it yeah. more. Um, but I'm still looking, like, lowish. Oh, yeah. Like, I think it works technically, functionally more as a slasher than town or right around there. Yeah, and, yeah, that's what I've been looking. Like, well, I don't know. Town that Dread Sundown, if you get rid of the, like, weird ten-minute, like, weird the weird docudrama stuff. stuff, yeah, that's yeah. true. Like, a um, lot, yeah, it's very, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, masked right. killer, yeah. inventive kills, stalking the everybody. Cat and mouse, yeah. Yeah. So. A small ma- town, that's maybe a Maybe more like. Well, it actually feels a lot like Home Sweet Home. It feels uh-huh. like, I think it's just, like, obviously better made. Right. Um, so it might be right there. Yeah. Like Cheerleader Camp, Home Sweet Home. I want to put it above Cheerleader Camp too. Uh, yeah. Because I, Cheerleader Camp has like no backstory for anyone. And talk about a movie that doesn't make sense. But I was, th- I almost made a comparison to that, the end scene of that to Cheerleader Camp. I was like, it's like that scene in Cheerleader Camp when she keeps hallucinating and like random creepy things are happening to her, but 
We have no explanation for why that's happening. It's just fucking random. And you're like, oh, yeah, they just wanted an excuse for the mascots to do something weird. Like, there was no payoff to mm-hmm. this, like, really clever, like, cool-looking thing they were doing, which was one of my favorite parts of that movie. Where this, we get this, like, crazy killer, but, like, there's actual reasoning behind it and inventiveness, and it makes sense for our character. Um, so, yeah, 50, I think, is a good spot. I, I do, for, too. Like, right um, under town and right above yeah. cheerleader camp. It's funny, actually, how much of this movie feels like Home Sweet Home, though. Yeah. Or, I guess, Home Sweet Home feels like this. But only a year later. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting, actually. Madman. Just no scalping. Yeah, but just like killing yeah. people, just going out there killing people, and like very kind of like raw feeling. Yeah. Of course, I you know we didn't have anyone who dresses a kiss member in this, and his name was Mistake. Oh yeah. <laughs> How did I forget that already? There are some of these uh. movies that I'm looking. Through, sometimes when I'm looking through here, I was like, I forgot we watched that, and then I like remember the movie, especially near the bottom. Of the list. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh man, that movie. That was a movie. Yeah. Maybe. I'm pretty sure. What was one of the. Brennan texts me and he's like, oh, so what'd you think? And I was like, it was a movie. And he's like, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Brennan's response, his clapbacks are like so, they're, they, they they're like, it's not like some incredibly well thought out. It's, they're like so callous towards the movie that it cracks me up. Uh They're so good. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it's our new number 50. Um, That, I think that's totally valid and fair. Um... Yeah, so let's see. I don't know. In two weeks, we'll be in March, and uh, there's no Easter-themed slasher movies that I know about, so if you have one, go ahead and let us know, but maybe we'll do the Maniac remake or something. We'll have to take a look and see if that even really qualifies as a slasher. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's it. We might have new music soon. <laughs> Our friend Ron really, really wants to do, like, an intro or an outro for us. Yeah. I'm all about him pursuing his passions, so I want to support him as much as possible. He sent us a sample day. It was pretty cool, actually. I really dug it. That's at work. I've not listened to it yet. It sounds a little bit like the X-Files theme song. It's creepy. Um, Yeah, but I liked it. If you guys have any ideas, let us know. Uh, Hit us up at Keep Screaming. I don't know. At Screaming Cast? No, at Screaming Cast. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we are on, on Twitter. At Screaming Cast, or you can tweet either of us individually any of that stuff works yes we i long story short like i lost access to our instagram and we had like a typo for the password we figured out what it was but now both of us can't remember it and so we're like not in our instagram right now so if any of you have reached out to us on instagram like we have not gotten it so um find us on twitter or like hit us up on our personal instagrams because I've just been too busy to even attempt to retrieve our Instagram account. Whoops. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll be back in two weeks. Until then, keep screaming.